The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner here at Post 9 New York Stock Exchange. Front and center this hour, what that red-hot jobs report means to this rally. We will ask Fundstrat star strategist Tom Lee in just a little bit. With me for the hour here today, Stephanie Link, Surat Sethi, Rob Seachin with me at Post 9, Farmer Jim, Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets here as we get going at 12 noon in the east. Reacting to that jobs report, we are down right now across the board watching yields. The 10-year shooting higher to 285. I've turned to Jim Labenthal and I say so much for that alleged pivot by the Fed, and I use pivot in quotes <laughs> for obvious reasons. Is that the right way to look at this, or how are you uh, looking at it? A couple of things. One, I think you know this. My thesis about being bullish is not predicated on a Fed pivot. It's predicated on the fact that I think earnings are going to more than hang in there. I won't trigger you by saying supply chain onshoring. Oops, there, I did it. But the second point, and I did trigger you with this a minute before we started. I you said, spent a lot of time worrying about triggering me lately. You're a little volatile sometimes. <laughs> anyway, no. Look, I said to you one minute before airtime, I said soft landing, Scott. Honestly, is that what this is about? Honestly, it's what I believe. You've got a hot jobs report, and I know where we are right now. Good news is supposed to be taken as bad news. I can't do it. We want jobs. We want people to be gainfully employed and consuming. The problem would be inflation. But I keep going back to RBOB. I keep going back to gasoline futures. They're off 33% from late June's peak. And that hasn't fully shown up at the pump yet. You've got freight costs coming down, mm -hmm. uh, things like the cash freight index, uh, container shipping rates. Uh, by the way, on the jobs report, I'm not sure how to square this gargantuan number with yesterday's jobless claims that we're supposed to be all worried about, you know, joblessness picking up. I really, look, I think there is a significant chance of a soft landing. Let me rephrase that. I think there is a significantly greater chance of a soft landing than the market has been pricing. Is, is, that, is that why, Steph, the market's not falling apart? on this perceived uh, bad news uh, of a jobs report uh, being too hot. And we know that the Fed, I mean, the likelihood of, of 75, J.P. Morgan now sees 75 basis points in September. Uh, market expectations of 75 in September have creeped up a bit. Is this all because we think now the economy is actually strong enough to absorb all of this? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, we talked about this yesterday and over time, the data this week has been very encouraging. It wasn't just, you know, the, 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 the non-farm payroll numbers this morning, but it, it was the jolts number. I know it's rolling a little bit, but it's still really elevated out there. And initial claims, they are inching higher, but they're still really low. And then we talked about factory orders being better than expected, right? And we talked about um, the prices paid indexes with um, in, inflation coming down. 
And we talked about new orders in the ISM reports being close to 60 uh, at the level. So in my opinion, like the, the economy, we can handle higher interest rates, especially after the, the job report this morning. We just created 3.2 million jobs a year to date. We have an unemployment rate at 3.5%. I don't think that the Fed pivoted at all a couple of weeks ago. How many officials told us that today? So there's really no reason for them to pivot. I'm not worried near term, Scott, as you know, right? I'm worried yeah. more about yep. 2023. I'm worried about more about 2023 because we don't know what all these rate hikes are going to do to the economy down the road. But right. for now, things look pretty okay. You know what? I'm wondering, Rob Seachin, if it's time for us to pivot. Forget the Fed. Maybe it's time for everybody to pivot from recession is almost inevitable to mm-hmm. soft landing. How about that? Well, you know, last week on the show, Scott, we pivoted from cautious to cautiously optimistic and thought that this bear market rally, we still think we're in a bear market, had some legs because we saw great measures of momentum and breadth specifically related to any of the other rallies that we've seen year to date. Investors clearly got too short, too bearish, and the pain trade was higher, and the rally in bonds boosted P.E. multiples. But interestingly, right now, Despite what we've seen this week, um, all those measures have stalled, stalled out or have stopped improving. And now we're sitting at some pretty significant resistant levels and we have to see if we're able to break through. What would cause markets to get weaker is that the bond markets already priced in all the good news. You look at the two year and how it was pricing in cuts in early 23. That has started to pivot again. And so I think this hot jobs number was really, really important because it changes the outlook for rapid Fed accommodation. And this data is not what the Fed wants amidst a a weakening economy and kind of a strong strong market. You know, financial conditions. Maybe maybe it is what they want. Maybe it is what they want in the, the, the crude sense that it emboldens them. They want to be able to hike rates to where they want to take rates and know at the same time that the economy can absorb all of it. That's been part of the view from the beginning. I would hypothesize, Scott, though, what does that do to valuations if they're able to continue to do that? We're trading at some pretty lofty levels right now, and I think valuations act as a significant cap for any price performance from here. And to Chris Toomey's point yesterday... Chris Toomey made a point on your overtime yesterday that earnings have yet to come down. I mean, come on. We still think there's going to be 8% earnings growth next year. I don't think so with the economy decelerating and the Fed still completely engaged. I don't see it. You you mentioned these resistance levels. Krinsky, BTIG, who we we cite and we have on our program all the time, Surratt, says if the S&P closes above 4231, the June was the low. Now we're like 110 points away from that, so we still have some work to do, and maybe there's some significant resistance to get to that point. But what do you, so what do you make of that, along with this hot jobs report, with the view that, you know, the Fed's going to be, you know, rock solid strong here, uh, maybe the economy can handle it, maybe it can't, we're going to find out. Well, I think some of the discussion that was going on the last few days about what's the Fed going to do, some people on one side of the fence, some of the other, I think that's going to be now much more strengthened that, hey, Fed's in a straight line. They're going to keep on raising. And, and look look at the effect, uh, Scott, to your point of, you know, are we going to hit 4,200? Now we're going to have a, another sector shift within the market. 
because the first thing that happened was technology sold off. That happens when rates start moving up. And then look at the mm -hmm. cyclicals, look at the financials and, and the energy stocks. They actually are outperforming today because rates are going up. So you get more of that value trade, more of the interest rate sensitive trade on the upside. So you could have parts of the market go up. Doesn't necessarily mean we break 4,200, but you can actually have some of the laggards that kind of fell back once we thought, you know, some people thought interest rates were going to kind of stabilize. That's kind of the Michael Hartnett view of the Bank of America flow show note today. He thinks that's eventually going to happen. Yields go up, tech goes down, market goes down, and you could still have an end game of what he says is sub 3600 for the principal reasons that Surratt just uh, articulated to all of you that at some point, right, tech has done so well here in this rebound from the June lows that if rates go up, tech goes down, overall market can't handle it, and that's what takes you down to where people don't think we can potentially go. Let's bring in our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, now. Kick this around uh, even further. So, I don't know, Steve, may, do you think the Fed, do you think the Fed looks at a jobs number like this and, and Jay Powell thinks, you know what, I, I think a soft landing or a soft-ish landing, as, as he's stated in the past, is, is actually more likely than not? Possibly, Scott. I, I, I think for sure uh, Powell can look at these numbers and suggest that uh, his overall take, which is that the Fed can hike rates and slow the economy and not do much damage to the job market, is turning out to be pretty accurate. Uh, there's just, Scott, an awful lot of pent-up demand for workers. And I, I, I don't think it comes so much from a red-hot economy. I still think we've kind of lost the thread because we move on. We're always talking about the future, but we forget a little bit about the past. There's a couple things going on, Scott. There are still industries... For example, leisure and hospitality that remain well below where they were uh, uh, before the pand uh, before the pandemic. Um, and also, by the way, we're still uh, uh, have people, large numbers of people who are calling out sick and not able to work because of COVID. Those two things are still working. I hope that the Fed doesn't look at these numbers and decide it needs to do more. I don't think it needs to do more because of these numbers. I, I think that what we're seeing here is this continuing rebound with along with some internal shifting scott in other words some of the industries overhired we hear those headlines and we go like oh the job market's falling apart well you know if there are places like the uh, uh home and gardening stores that had gangbuster business during the pandemic that now have to let go of a few workers because it's not so so gangbusters anymore that's not a very big deal it depends what i mean you say fed doing more it depends what more is is more Bullard's 4%? Is more 75 in September when the market had kind of gotten his arms around 50, maybe even 25? JP Morgan, as I said earlier in our show, as we started here, 75 in September is what they think. I mean, how would you respond to that? Well, I, I guess I would respond by saying, and I'm going to look up the number to make sure I have it right in front of me now, but uh, the market shifted from a 50 to a 75 for, for the September meeting. And, and I'm not sure that's right. It's now a 70% probability of a 75. I don't think there's a reason to accelerate. Uh, Goldman has built in a 50 and 225s. Uh, in my math, and maybe uh, Labenthal can check me, that's 100 additional basis points. That's a lot of additional basis points between now uh, and the end of the year. It's still a very strong uh, or aggressive rate hike cycle. I just don't think because of this number, they need to accelerate it because, again, what I'm seeing, 96,000 jobs added in leisure and hospitality. And if my math is right, there's still 1.1 million jobs uh, below where they were. You still have, you know, the anecdotal evidence, Scott. You know, talk, talk, to, talk to LeBeau. 
uh, flights being canceled because they don't have crews. That doesn't tell yeah. you that the job market is in the place where it was before. And by the way, you bring more workers into the uh, uh, into the economy, you increase supply, which should be deflationary. Yeah. The other thing is what I noticed, and I think you said this earlier, is that expectations of a cut, which the market had been really trying to get its you know head around, uh, have dipped a little bit right. for next year, right? I mean, the market had gotten there. Maybe that's a little bit less with a number like this. Yeah. I'm going to look at just a little bit, Scott. The market still has that uh, uh, 315 I have built in there. I don't know. You guys have that rate outlook chart I sent earlier uh, in the back yeah. there. I'm not precisely sure where it is. It moves around. But it had been down, uh, down at 3. Uh, uh, and so it's raised the peak rate to call it 350, 360 right now. And then it has that cut still built in for 315 uh, uh, by the end of next year. There you go. That, what, as with that number is 315 is right. Um, so uh, that's what the Fed officials that Stephanie was talking about have been leaning against. They did not want you to think there's been a pivot. They did not. They do not want you to build in these cuts for next year. But a lot of it turns on the economy. You know, Aneta Markowska is out this morning from Jeffries with a comment that instead of uh, we, instead of a recession, we should be talking about stronger for longer. If you have, and, and this kind of, you know, I, I hate to give the support to Jim's idea here, uh, uh, just because it's sort of fun to see, uh, see, see Jim defend himself. But in any event, here's, here's a Goldilocks scenario that maybe himself. is the root. He's tired of defending <laughs> yeah. himself. Here, here's a Goldilocks scenario suggested by Annette Markowska that, that would yep. play into Jim's uh, bullish ideas. It's as follows. You have wages have risen, though not enough with inflation. But what if the, the subtraction factor drops out of that? In other words, what if you have a real decline in inflation in the coming weeks or coming months that, that reduces that subtraction from the wage gains? What you'll have is you'll have real wages rising in the coming months, which should give consumers more spending power in the coming months. And that would be a very different economy we'd be talking about. Um, if you do have inflation come down and jobs remain strong, uh, mm -hmm. That's a different scenario than I think the one the market's built in. That's why I suggest, and not necessarily all in jest, that maybe the pivot needs to come from us. Maybe the pivot needs to come from, from investors thinking that actually a soft landing could be a real possibility. Labenthal's, of course, sitting next to me, Steve, Scott, and he has Scott, can I, a retort. Can yeah, I, yes, can, please, go ahead. And then can, Labenthal. I, I, I don't want to cut, I don't cut you off, but I will say, I, I, you know, I, I know the other side of my own argument here, which is that and this is the important one, that there's still a lot of impact from these Fed rate hikes to hit the economy. A lot of that bullish scenario has to say we have already digested the drag from higher rates that's in the economy. I'm just not sure that's right. It could be yet several months down the road that the economy, you know, slams into the brick wall of these rate hikes that it sees in, the, in, 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 in front of it yeah. but hasn't really come up to yet. Still highly possible. Still highly possible, Jim Labenthal. Steve, I want to really tighten this up a little bit. It, I, I don't care about the rate cuts. For me, what the market is teetering on is whether we get 100 basis points or 150 basis points from here to year end. And I think there's two theses out there. Scott's illustrated one of them, which is that the Fed is now emboldened. Those are your words. Uh, they've, got, they've got runway to do it. They're going to do it. They want to do it. A lot of people are saying that. Brian Roucher at Tom Lee's uh, group is saying that very strongly. 
Then there's me who's saying, and this is what I'm asking you, which is right. The Fed has a dual mandate, right? It's maximum employment and price stability. If, yeah. as you just suggested, if you start to get that price stability and you have to really get it, all right, right. really see it in the next two months, doesn't that mean that the Fed is going to say, wait a second, three and a half? That's fine. We've normalized interest rates. By some arguments, we're above neutral. Isn't that good enough? Again, if inflation comes down. Yeah, three and a half could be good enough. Um, and, and even the end of the day, uh, uh, Bullard's four is not that scary to me, depending upon what inflation is doing. You start talking about five or six percent. Look, it means an adjustment. It means an adjustment in valuations. You guys know way better than I do. There has been a pretty major adjustment uh, uh, in, 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 in the, especially the outlying, the, the most highly bid, the most expensive uh, uh, asset prices that were out there. There has been an adjustment. So, I, I mean, I, Scott, I, I'm afraid that when you say maybe we need to pivot, I don't think you should pivot back to, uh, you know, a year or two ago when everything was, was going up and, and, and it was the participation trophy stock market when all you had to yeah. do was put money I in and you that. win. I don't think that's where we're going back to. But I also no, I think, think so. that over time, if we continue to do these kind of job numbers and continue to put more people to work, if you do have that inflation coming down, it's going to be harder and harder to make that argument that the economy is imminently headed for a recession. My, my argument, Steph, let's bring Steph in, um, is pivot to Jim's point of view, right? The, the, one of the few who have been out there saying all of y'all are wrong. And I think it's going to be a soft landing. And here's why. A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And maybe it's time for more people to pivot to Jim's point of view. Not pivot back to, you know, the, the go-go crazy days of, of what this market was doing. But to Jim's point of view, that a soft landing actually is realistic. It's possible. And that's why I mentioned this week was a really big week, at least for me, just in seeing the economic data coming in better than expected. We're definitely slowing, Scott, but we're, we're, we're hanging in there for the time being. The problem I have is, can the Fed really engineer a soft landing? They do not have a good track record. And can they really fix inflation? Well, sure, maybe they can fix parts of it, right? And we're seeing some of the inflation come down, but I still believe that wages are just too high for them to feel comfortable about, right? Yeah. Rents are an right. issue. They're up 25% year over year. <clears throat> education costs, healthcare costs. Can the Fed really change education and healthcare costs? No. No, but so they've never... I think we're going to have elevated... They've never raised well, I just rates. think we're going to have so elevated people, inflation. Well, that, that may be a possibility. I mean, in some parts of it are going to remain elevated for longer than others. And a good part of the inflation curve is already coming down. The Fed has never, people like to say, well, the Fed is raising rates like they haven't done in four, you know, 40 years or, or whatever. Right. Um, and they automatically go back to these historical references and say, well, anytime that happens, there's no way that the economy is going to stand on its own two feet. Well, maybe this time actually is different. They've never embarked on a rate raising regime like they are now with an economy and a labor market as strong as it is now. Got and it. maybe maybe that's the difference. Maker. Let me, uh, I'll just put some quick data, some quick numbers on this guy real quick, which is uh, in the average recession. I went back to 1947. Um, Job growth by now into this recession should be down by half a percentage point. This was as of June. I didn't put, plug today's numbers in, uh, which means we should be down 700,000 jobs. Instead, yeah, no, we are up 3.2 million. We're not. So you're right that this is a different 
uh, situation, a different scenario. And I really think it's this recovery from COVID and the pandemic that is really yeah. behind it. Yeah, Steve, I appreciate it so much. Have a good weekend. We'll see you on the other side. That's Steve Leesman, our Fun senior economic supporter. Last comment. So, Siege, um, Barry Bannister is not ready to throw in the towel, right, just, just yet. He says the rally is intact. He raises his target to 4,400. He was at 42. Um, and, you know, look, there are those who are trying to get a little more optimistic. We're going to talk to one on the other side of the break who has been that way from the get-go. That's Tom Lee waiting in the wings. Put your thoughts now on that. So I, I'm going to spend a, another second on the Fed and then pivot to that because I think the Fed is still the central actor in the room. I know Jimmy thinks it's it's more about earnings, and I think I know, earnings but pivot have, to where I took pivot. I need you to pivot to where I took you to because I pivoted, and then I got to so, wrap it up. So let's go. So, so <laughs> what what I will tell you is I do think the worst case scenario has been taken off the table. So we were thinking you could get the 34. 3,400 on the S&P and an overshoot 3,200. The risk of that has gone down meaningfully with how healthy the market has acted in this bear market bounce. I do think there's going to be ebbs and flows to this. Could we pick, push higher to 42, 4,300? The answer is yes, but at some point, valuation acts as a ceiling to this. You can't have an environment where the Fed is still tightening, the economy is decelerating, earnings need to come in and you just sit there and have a beer and ignore all this negative data and keep buying stocks. You got to right, be well, careful I with mean, that. Then Tom, then Tom Lee is drinking a six pack because he says today he's more <laughs> confident of greater than 4,800. How does he get there? We'll ask him next. He's our halftime headliner today. Tom Lee of Fundstrat joins us right after this. Plus, do not miss a CNBC special tonight all about the jobs report. That's at six Eastern time with Eamon Javers. Halftime's back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's bring in our halftime headliner now, Fundstrat Managing Partner, Head of Research, Tom Lee, joins us now with that market call that I was talking about. Tom, it's nice to see you. I hope you just heard your guy, Rob Seachin, friend, neighbor. You guys are like peas and carrots, literally like peas and carrots. You hang out. He says your view can't work. 
You say today you are more confident of greater than 4,800, but not ready to give up on 5,100. He says it's impossible, my words, not his, given what the Fed is going to do and where we are. How's, what's the counter? Well, I mean, I think the counter is if we end up with a growth scare, um, and today's job support is tracking towards that, that economic activity is softening up, but the underlying fundamentals are strong enough for us to not have a recession. Well, that along with the fact that inflation, I think it's cooling pretty rapidly. We can see it in all the leading indicators. So our inflation dashboards really show that over the next six to 12 months, inflation will cool. That puts the Fed in a position to stop shocking markets. It, they don't have to pivot. They don't have to cut rates. But we can just say, look, if the tenure stays here at 2.7, even at 3, that's a 33 PE for a bond, the stock market can re-rate. So I, I think a lot of the reason stocks can surprise, which is what happened in 1982, is that the multiple reaches a new equilibrium because the Fed is no longer shocking. We're avoiding a recession. The tenure is going to be how we calibrate PE. That PE of 20 is not expensive if the bond market is the 10 years somewhere between 33 and 37 times. You know, today, if you buy a 10 year bond at 27, you're paying almost 37 times for that coupon. So I think there's that's that's the reason why 4800 comes into play. Um, in fact, I think our technician, Mark Newton, thinks that there's greater than a 50 percent chance that you're you're well above 4400. In fact, it's it's, you know, somewhere between 44 and 48 is where he thinks we end the year. And again, it's not because the Fed has to cut. It's just that we've got you know, higher rates baked in. It's the shock to markets that's going to matter. I know, but the, the P only works if the E earnings remain at minimum where they are now, if not higher than where they are now. You can't have earnings go down and have the P still work, can you? Oh, that's right, Scott. Uh, I mean, even if you took a look at today's labor report, you know, wages are still growing 5%. Uh, so we're not talking about wages going, growing at zero. And nominal GDP, you know, came in in the first half over 8%. So let's say it's, you know, still 6, 7, 8%. That's still enough for companies, as long as they're not hit by bull whip effect and inventory corrections to generate double digit earnings growth. So I, I would say part of our view is that the 2023 EPS numbers, which are maybe at 245 now, they don't have to come down to 200. They might go to 240, but you know, that's two and a half percent off the highs. It's not like E fell so much that you got to take the S&P down to the 3000 level that so many are talking about. Well, I mean, assuming they hold up at, you know, 240. Uh, so Rob Seachin, I mean, Tom Lee, you know, says maybe you're not getting the whole story here that Inflation's coming down maybe faster than you're giving it credit for, that the economy can have this soft landing and that he can be right. And, you know, you don't have to be sitting back drinking a beer thinking everything's great. Maybe things are going to be just fine. It's, it's hard to go against the market master. He, he really knows how to read markets. But I, I boil it down to kind of simple fundamentals. Is, is a slowdown in the pace, is, is a change in the rate of change by the Fed enough to lend the support that is required for the multiples that we have in an environment where earnings are, you know, likely to come down, right? And that's all it is. It's at what price we want to pay for this. And we're trading at 18 
and a half times a lot of what's happened recently has been multiple expansion that has been driven by um, a market narrative that the Fed is going to pivot sometime in 23 and maybe even cut rates. I just don't see that. And so I'm not suggesting being bearish. What I'm suggesting is caution um, in the way that you're positioning so you're not exposed in the in the event that that uh, narrative of slowing down being supportive doesn't play out. That's all. Yeah. Well, over time, I, you're not necessarily cautious. That's well, the future's uncertain. So everything Rob's described is plausible. But if we think about second half of this year compared to the first half, I'd actually say that there's more reasons for earnings to accelerate because the inventory correction, which took out two points out of GDP in the second quarter and companies still generate double digit earnings growth, that's gone. In fact, there might be some inventory building. That's a tailwind for cyclicals. Gasoline prices have fallen. That's less wallet dedicated to gasoline, more for consumer spending. That's accelerating. And then we are through some of the worst of these inflation year over year uh, comps. That's less bullwhip and margin pressure and wage pressures are easing. So that's potentially margin supportive in the second half. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's baked in the cake that earnings should be decelerating. Earnings could actually surprise in the second half as well. Yeah, you, you say that buy the dip regime uh, is back. How long can it stay that way though? I mean, uh, you're already, I almost feel like we're getting to a point where people look at this move that we've had and say, I, I need to like take some chips off the table here and sell some of this rip rather than buy any dip. What, what do you say to that? Uh, it's a great question, Scott. Um, if a buy the dip regime is actually in play again, it's, it's gonna last for many months, maybe even a year. What I can see from our clients, you know, we had a team huddle yesterday. We, we can see our clients are selling uh, this rip. They're raising cash, getting more defensive. We know that in aggregate positioning is still hyper cautious. Uh, CTA cash positioning or risk off is, is the lowest six percentile. Um, we know it in the prime brokerage data. We see it in talking to our clients. So nobody's really adding risk here at a time when everyone said a good jobs number should take the market down. We're barely down today. I just think it shows you a lot of things are already baked in. And if it's a growth scare that's coming to play, I just think that a growth scare means PE is going up a lot because the 10 years at 2.7. Tom, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. That's Tom Lee from Fundstrat joining us once again. Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Scott. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. China's foreign ministry announcing new countermeasures against Washington, including the suspension of climate talks in response to Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, hours after it announced sanctions against the House Speaker. Measures include the cancellation of future phone calls and meetings between Chinese and U.S. defense leaders and the cancellation of annual naval meetings under the China-U.S. military maritime consultation mechanism. Today, though, the White House summoned the Chinese ambassador to protest China's military exercises around Taiwan. 
A judge ruling that Kevin Spacey had, and his production companies must pay the makers of House of Cards nearly $31 million because of losses brought on by his 2017 firing for sexual harassment of crew members. Spacey has denied all allegations. And Russia saying it is ready to discuss a prisoner swap with the United States one day after WNBA star Brittany Griner was sentenced to nine and a half years in prison on a drug charge. Scott being told that um, now that that sentence is out of the way, there may be more negotiations in earnest and possibly we can pursue an avenue to bring her home. At least that's what the White House is saying. Back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Joining us there, coming up, the buyback blowback. Fresh fallout now to that new spending bill making its way through Congress, what it means for your investments. We debate that next right here on The Half. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. The future of stock buybacks in focus today on where Democrats appear poised to pass their Inflation Reduction Act, which includes a new 1% excise tax on that practice. The question is whether it will, in fact, have a material impact or not, what that might mean for stocks. So, Stephanie Link, how would you address that? Mm -hmm. how, how are you thinking about this issue if, in fact, this happens, which now, frankly, seems pretty likely? I don't really think it's a big deal. 1% uh, buyback tax is about less than half of a percent to S&P 500 earnings, number one. I just don't think it's big enough for companies to change their strategy, and they're generating so much free cash flow, they do want to, to return it to shareholders. I think it, on the margin, maybe they shift incrementally to more dividends versus buybacks, but I don't think this is going to be material. Okay. So what about you, Surat? I mean, Look, we can get into the issue whether it's material or not, whether it's right or not, that, that Congress should be sticking its nose in the corporate coffers and deciding what companies can and should do with their free cash flow. You want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I mean, look, this is a you can have a really big philosophical discussion on CAPM models and what we should be doing. But at the end of the day, if I'm a company and I'm looking at, OK, what do I do with my cash? Right. Buy back shares, cap spending, increased dividends. They're going to look and say, what is the best return of capital after taking into effect the one percent tax? So I think the companies will do what's right for them. And it might lead to maybe some more CapEx or maybe more, some more spending. Uh, which will be stimulated for the economy as well. So I think the, the, the CEO and the board will do the right thing for what they think the share price is. And if the right thing is the stock is 20% undervalued and nothing else is giving you that return, they'll buy back the shares. I can understand the, the, the controversy here when you say, okay, airlines spent like 90% of free cash flow over a decade on stock buybacks. And then they need to be bailed out by the government during COVID. See why there's outrage over that. So, like, I get that. Why should Congress have any say on what companies do with the, with their cash? Well, you, you, they're, because they're taking the exception that you just pointed out, 
and making it the rule, and they're applying it ubiquitously to all of corporate America, which I think is a terrible mistake. I hate this, okay? In a vacuum, if no other decisions are made, that means that's 1% less capital coming back to us as shareholders. I'm a capitalist. I want my capital to give a return, a physical return to me. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing to consider here is double taxation, all right? This is after-tax profits coming back to me, and this is the camel's nose under the tent. It's not going to stop at 1%. You know it. I know it. They know it. I feel like, and I, I, look, I don't know where our viewers come down on this. I, I feel like this is like a hypocrisy here is rich. The free market is cited, has been cited, at times where we have discussions about why should members of Congress be allowed to trade stocks? <laughs> because that's how the free market operates, right? That was cited um, by the speaker. But the free market can't work the way the free market should work if it's a company buying back its stock. What am I missing? It's 100% political. It's 100% political. It is the government taking money that should go to you and me and all of our shareholders and taking it for themselves. And they're covering it in this rubric of what you just pointed out with the airlines. What's missed in that context is that the government shut down the entire economy. I'm not opining on whether that was right or wrong. I'm saying that was happened. That wasn't the airline's fault. The entire, you know, air traffic went down 90%. Not 19, not 9, 9, 0 percent. That was by government mandate. Once in a hundred year thing. I get it. And, but, but I still think that the criticism can be valid of if you spend 90 percent of your free cash flow over a decade on stock buybacks, and then when it pours outside, for whatever reason the rain started, yep. that you can't have your hand out for a bailout. I'll if agree you with you. you spend a lot of your free cash flow, the great majority of it, on buying back your, your shares. Maybe buybacks in certain instances are not the greatest use of corporate capital, but maybe it's not the government that should be the one telling you or mandating Agreed. what a company should do. Sold. Trying totally, to sell the totally, debate here. Totally agree with you. I'm sorry I can't debate you on that. Um, and I think that absent this example of the airlines, if somebody spends 90% of their free cash flow and does bad capital management such that they don't have a rainy day fund when the normal recession occurs, then bad on them. They deserve to go under. Uh, again, not the case with the airlines, but what I'm saying is the free market should apply. Of course, that's what you would expect from me. Okay. Uh, up next, we have trades on some of the biggest analyst calls of the day, including an upgrade for a big oil name. Two committee members own that. The debate is next right here on The Half. All right, we're back. Take a look at shares of Chevron. Upgraded to a buy at Societe Generale today. The firm noting its strong Q2 earnings. Price target goes to 190. It's sitting at 153. Steph and Surratt, you own this. This, I think, in some sense becomes a conversation, too, about the energy trade in general. Surratt, what do you, what do, you do here? What do you think about this trade? I get the upgrade, but how about the trade from here forward? So I think, you know, what we also saw with the jobs report, that's really important. Well, that also said to you that energy demand is still going to be strong. And Chevron and a lot of these majors make a lot of money when oil's at $60. So I like it. I have not been trimming this one. I've been actually, I would add to it at these levels. I think you've got some staying power here with the Chevron, especially with their strong balance sheet going forward. Okay, what about the Linkster? Would you, in Surratt's words, be adding to it here? Yeah, I mean, look, its stock is down 17% from its highs. It trades at eight and a half times earnings, and you get a little over three and a half percent dividend yield. And look, the quarter was really good, but it's interesting. They chose to increase their buyback 
instead of increased production. Total production fell in their quarter, and yet they raised their buyback from five uh, to, to 10 billion to up to 15 billion, right? So they're choosing to do what all the other energy companies are doing, returning cash to shareholders. And we talked about this a lot uh, after earnings. I have been adding net net to energy, especially on this pullback. You know my new position is Occidental. And, I, and again, as Surat said, a lot of these companies make money at $60 oil. They make money at $40 to $50 oil too, right? Some companies, some of the really well-run companies, including Chevron. So I expect the cash to come back to the shareholders to continue in the industry. The stocks are very cheap. Earnings went up after in general for the group. And so this is a, one of my uh, favorite sectors. This is where I am overweight in a pretty big way. Rob Seachin, it was your stock summit pick for us. You still like it as much as you did then? Like it a lot because it's come in. I mean, listen, oil is back to pre-Ukrainian invasion levels, meaning no geopolitical risk is being priced into oil today. So now energy is a very cheap way to hedge against geopolitical issues. And the physical markets still remain tight. Supply is constrained. OPEC did a laughable 100,000 barrel raise this week, the smallest increase ever. You've seen big outflows out of the sector ETFs, so it means that people have given up on energy. And so I like energy. We specifically, Scott, as you know, like EOG, which reported this week, I'm taking incredible heat on Twitter because of the, it, people think that it can go up when energy goes down. That's not possible. And EOG is the apple of this industry. They are, they are not doing what other companies are doing, which is raising CapEx to drive production. They have better technology. It proves they're a best-in-class player. And by the way, they're returning that cash that they could have spent on EMP to shareholders with a $1.50 special dividend this quarter, which means that you're getting 9% yield on this company this year. It's absolutely insane. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. Santoli with his midday word is next with us here on the Halftime Report. All right, we're back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here at Post 9 for his midday word. What do you got? Yeah, a little bit of a, a plot twist. The uh, market was not positioned specifically for the very hot jobs number, but the way it's absorbed it is really not that uh, troubling, to be honest. No, with it's you. surprising. Much more, much more about rotation than it is about some kind of a of liquidation. Didn't even get in the S&P down to the early week lows on Tuesday, which is below 4,100. So I think that's all to the good. The two-year note yield probably could get a little uncomfortable if it kept rising above three and a quarter back toward the highs. Uh, but in general, uh, it's an interesting test of what the rally has been about in the last six weeks. Common storyline has been up oh, just about a Fed pivot. It's about the fact that inflation and gasoline are down. Well, it was also about the fact that the soft landing scenario got a little bit more credence. And maybe today's numbers relatively consistent with that. Yeah. Is that what you think this is about? The, the market's ability to shake that off after the initial? Sure you know, drop and it's OK. Maybe we need to start thinking more seriously about a soft landing. It appears that I mean, you know, you're coming from a position where banks were kind of on their back and, and tech was 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 rising pretty well for several weeks. And now you just have them coming together a little bit. So the banks have a bit energy. 
you know, I don't want to extrapolate too much from, sure. from one day's action because it also is happening at the upper end of this range when everyone's fixated on the next 2% move and whether that's going to tell us whether this is still a bear market or not. Yeah. All right. I'll see you in a few. All right. For your last word, that's, that's Mike good. Santoli joining us here. Straight ahead, Surratt's making some moves in his portfolio. We go through them next. All right, we're back. I said uh, Surratt is making some moves. Tell me why you sold Stanley, Black & Decker. Sold it. I mean, the shares are down 49% this year. You sold it now? Yeah, Scott, we talked about it earlier this week. Uh, all the catalysts for this stock are gone now. Housing is slowing down. Rates are going up. And, st- and the pull in demand for Stanley was great. I think it's going to be a while. This is dead money. I like the company, but I just don't think the stock's going to go anywhere for a while, especially since the end demand is not going to be there. Okay, uh, why'd you buy Steelcase, which is off 20 plus percent from its 52 week high? Okay, so Steelcase is an interesting restructuring story, nine times earnings, 5% dividend yield, and really the play is on the hybrid model of re- remodeling offices in the home. So, high cost of uh, supply chain, that's coming down, demand is increasing sequentially, everything had come to a halt. I think this company's earnings power is much greater. It used to trade at 16 to 18 times earnings, and we're getting at half that. Okay, you bought Edison International, tell me why. Uh, so again, a defensive play here, 15 times earnings, utility sectors at 21, Edison is growing earnings 7 to 9% with a 4% dividend yield in the, in the transmission and distribution business. They're not really affected by generation. So you've got steady earnings, you've got a great kind of uh, environment for them to grow, and I'll take a double digits earnings with a multiple expansion uh, in this type of market. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for all that. Surat Sethi, final okay. trades are next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, overtime. Three hours from now, I hope I will see all of you there. Courtney Garcia will join me along with Greg Branch and Bryn Talkington. We'll talk about that jobs report, what it means for the rally, does it put 75 basis points or more back on the table for September? We'll discuss where we're going from here, and I'll see all of you then. All right. Now, let's look forward to next week. Disney, Jimmy, set to report earnings next week. You've uh, you know been knocked around this week on Paramount. All right. I know you don't want to talk about it anymore. Threw some punches back. Okay. But on what Disney, do we think here? I think there there are I understand why people are negative, right? Because they've got to spend on content. Last okay. last quarter they had a great uh, subscription ad, but it was all on cricket. And you know, they're gonna have to pay more for cricket rights. Okay, but you know what? Their streaming subscribers continue to go up. The theme parks are going gangbusters, even the movie studios, you know, Doctor Strange, everything's going right for them. Or rather, let me just say this a lot more is going right than is going wrong for Disney. I think it's undervalued. Okay, Surat, you, you own it too. Are are your expectations high? going in or tepid? Uh, I think, you know, look, I think the theme parks are going to be really strong. Movies going to be strong. Streaming is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, we didn't get good numbers out of Peacock. Uh, they're all fighting for streamers. I think that's uh, that's a little downplayed, but I, I do like the stock. It's really cheap on a cash flow basis and in a future basis. So I think this is one that you want to pick up with a really great franchise. What do you think of Paramount, Surat? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't want to trigger Jim. What's your final trade, Surat? 
I'm sticking with Chevron for Jimmy. Uh, I'm sticking with Chevron. I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a good one to own for a while. Okay. All right. Uh, Stephanie Link. Zoetis, so they had a really good earnings report yesterday. They narrowed the range for earnings and total revenue. Companion Animal up 14%, and they have 300 products in the pipeline. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Seach, give me a name. Home Depot. Okay. Trading at a 20% discount to its five-year name. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Citigroup. Said a name, not like uh, (laughs) 10 sentences. I'll see you in overtime. (laughs) You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.